0: Okay, so welcome to episode four of Okay So, America's hottest new show about runway modeling gone horribly, horribly wrong. I'm Jeff Wallinitz, and as you know, I'm your mentor, and I do not judge your looks. That's a Project Runway reference, and I mention it because it's one of the things that comes up in this episode. I sat down with Megan Latham, Global Head of Ad Operations at Bloomberg, live on stage at Ad Monster's Publisher Forum in Nashville, Megan has an interesting view of operations and content consumption from her seat in the ecosystem, and she was gracious enough to share her POV on how she manages a global business, how UX impacts consumption, and why she doesn't need to make the homepage of her website explode to catch a user's eye on behalf of her advertisers. The Arnold Schwarzenegger movie End of Days comes up too, so you're really, really going to enjoy this one. But before I begin, I wanted to take a moment to discuss a movement near and dear to my heart. We're now in November which means it's Movember, and I've got a pretty sweet mustache brewing. As always, that mustache is raising money to raise awareness of men's cancers. If you're interested in learning more, shoot me a note at podcastokso, or check out movember.com. It is a worthy cause to look completely ridiculous for. And now, on to the show. Let's get going. Thanks, everyone. First of all, yeah, total first for me. I've been doing this podcast, this is my... My third, uh, I've recorded three episodes, this one will be my fourth, so again, thank you all for being here. Um, It'll be, obviously, this will be untouched uh, when it goes to air um, in the next few days, so please feel free to be as rowdy as you possibly can. Megan will be as charming and intelligent as I know she will be, Um, but again, thank you all for being here, And, and for the record, I booked Megan before. Uh, she got that advertising award yesterday, and uh, so you're going to hear maybe a little bit of repetition, but hopefully not too much, because we've got a lot to go through. So I think you all know Megan, Global Head of Advertising Operations at Bloomberg. I tend to start this thing with what I call uh, the four, the three where questions, um, but I'm sort of ditching that conceit, given that we're in a room where we've got a lot to get through, but I do always start, because I find it kind of endlessly fascinating, um, I do always start with where you're from. So where are you from?
1: I grew up mostly in White Plains, New York.
0: Oh, so you are a, you're a metro New Yorker. Metro New Yorker. Yeah, as am yes. I. I actually grew up across the river, mm-hmm. so. Um, and, you know, sort of growing up in New York was your, was your dream kind of to make it to the big city? Because I know a lot yes. of, there's basically two choices when you grow up in metropolitan New York, right? It's like either move back where you came from or move to the city. His dream was
1: completely to be in the city.
0: Like how do you get there? Yes, how do, get there?
1: how do I get there? But now I'm always escaping to the country. On the <laughs> totally. Weekends. That's so the Now that I'm in it, I'm like, oh how do I get away on the weekends?
0: That is the big thing, right? My parents grew up in the city and couldn't wait to flee. Yes. I grew up out of the city and mm-hmm. couldn't wait to flee. So from there you kind of you kinda jumped into this. So tell me how you sort of or take a little minute to describe how you sort of jumped from uh, competency to competency to get to the point where you are, you know, sort of global head, right? Because as we talked before, global could mean Worldwide, Or it could mean the universe of things that Bloomberg yeah. does.
1: So I started in account management and ended up kind of also then taking on trafficking um, accidentally. Um, but I found trafficking interesting because I, I, I found account management and trafficking very similar in a way that a great trafficking team is vital to campaign succeeding. I think account management and trafficking are so closely tied. A great trafficking team really helps a campaign succeed, really kind of manages accounts. Um, While running those types of teams, I pushed myself and my teams into ad product years ago when we were still mostly doing 728s and 300 by 250s and we kind of saw a need to do something different we could charge a lot more we could do something you know a little more exciting right when pushdowns were maybe just starting back then and we got around my teens a little more creative with that type of thing and just no one else was doing it we decided let's do it ourselves we found some vendors to help us and we did it um so Then I got an opportunity presented to me to run a media planning team and I said, what? Confused. (laughs) I run this end of the business and it almost scared me at first and then I said, do it. Um, Why not? What's the worst that could happen? I could always go back to this world if I hate it. I ended up loving it. It actually ended up being much more even to my skill set. So I ended up running kind of media and advertising strategy teams at people.com for a while. Um, And the Bloomberg opportunity presented itself, and it was a perfect combination of all the bits that I had run, um, which was an amazing next step for me. Bloomberg is a fabulous company, and I knew going in it was. I don't think I quite realized what and what opportunities it would bring to me um, before. But the other piece it brought that I hadn't done before was the global aspect. I had run mostly U.S.-based business, and this is, right now I run a completely global team with, I have a team in Europe, I have teams in scattered offices in Asia, and the learnings that has brought is, I couldn't have imagined also.
0: So. Would you say your advice is to people that if, you know, certain sort of opportunity comes along that sounds Completely. interesting to you, just jump at it. Completely. Uh, because you never know where it's going to yeah. be done. Yeah, and way I way. think
1: although in, in that I just said that I took those opportunities there, I think sometimes I was a bit hesitant and stayed safe a little longer. And now looking back, I wish I had done that even more often than I did at times. Um, because you always have the learnings and the expertise that you've built up. If you take a risk and you're like, mm, not really for me, you have those other learnings you can go back to what you loved doing so a 100 percent. you even if it's something that you don't end up enjoying you're gonna take learnings from that experience
0: and so you touched on bloomberg as an organization right it's obviously a very large organization and we you know at, at comcast advanced advertising at freewheel um, you know we deal with an organization where there are two very very large Beasts in the room, right? There's a distribution business called Infinity, and, uh, Xfinity rather, and there's a, uh, a programming arm called NBC Universal that contains programming that manifests itself in a bunch of different ways. And in Comcast Advanced Advertising, we're you know, a small ad tech uh, team. So we're a small business in a very, very large pond. Mm-hmm. For you at Bloomberg, Bloomberg has multiple revenue streams, yes. right? They have a syndication business and there are terminals that are in offices where they can just pull news down from the ticker, um, although that's probably a you know, sort of a fairly aged reference, but yeah. Um, and then there's advertising operations yeah. and advertising itself in the media business. What role at Bloomberg does the advertising business play? How large or small a piece of that?
1: Is I would that? say it is smaller and even as you just described free being, but It's such an opportunity for us. So Bloomberg at its core is a technology business. Um, It sits on so much data, technology, and research intelligence. And I think what the media, and especially the advertising business, is doing now is really looking at the rest of Bloomberg and how can we utilize this to transform the media business. And so we are looking at the technology arms, all the data that the terminal sits on, which I didn't know all about terminal before. For those of you who don't, it is a massive technology. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And all the data it sits on, I mean, my team there was a piece in Digiday today that talks about some of the innovative ad products that we've created using terminal data to power, you know, ad products that we are creating that specialize and are really unique for our audience. Um, We use Bloomberg Intelligence, which is a whole other arm, to really, we're launching kind of a strategy agency part of our business that we can uniquely do as Bloomberg, because we have all these other Bloomberg businesses to really help kind of position us for our clients. And our clients have even been vocal saying that we can really help inform their businesses and their decisions in ways that others can't because of the other pieces. So the data over. thing is super
0: interesting, I mean in a couple of different ways, right? One is, how are you actually leveraging that data mm-hmm. to reach consumers in a more efficient, effective way that furthers ROI for people that are advertising with you, mm-hmm. but also in, from the perspective of, like how safe are you keeping that data, right? There is a there's a brand, like a data safety yes. issue here that, so how protective so of is, their data is yeah. Bloomberg? I would so imagine extremely. A,
1: extremely, yeah. another level. Um, There was a vendor on stage yesterday who laughed about a client being called Fort Knox. They were actually referencing us. Yeah, that's funny. Um, We are extremely strict. So terminal clients, there is a hard line. We would never target them, touch their data beyond a hard line. The data we are using is market data. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. We would never use personal data in any way. So the data I was talking about that's powering ad units is we have an ad product called Trigger, where we can talk in the simplest form, a client can really have different messaging um, if different market movements move their business in different ways. So we can get different creative from them, and if commodities markets go up, we can have different messaging instantly triggered um, and, if
0: trigger. and
1: if commodity markets go down, we can serve up different messaging. And that is all instantaneous as the markets move.
0: So it really is almost just sort of effective situational targeting. That's it. Right? How That's it. And it is it?
1: not personal information ever. It is that type and of And so data.
0: you cover, you don't just cover digital, right? You okay. have... Print and radio,
1: TV. Yes.
0: So all of that. Mm -hmm. So how do you? So well, let me ask two questions, and you can answer them in whatever order you want. One of which is how how much do you leverage data for any cross-platform buy? How often do you see actual cross-platform buys coming in? How unified are your sales teams?
1: Our sales teams are completely cross-platform, and so are our ops teams mostly. So Um, it's
0: common for you to get a print and a digital campaign for instance? Yes.
1: So teams like trafficking are of course specialized, but um, sales teams, planning teams, are completely cross-platform by agency and advertiser. And really we are always thinking of the advertiser, not the platform. Um, We are looking at what is an advertiser's challenge and trying to answer the challenge not thinking platform agnostic at all. And I think that's what really makes Bloomberg also unique, that we have these platforms and such a unique audience to really just help them reach their goals, not limited in a way. I mean,
0: it's it's affluent users. Right? So you have very high household comps, I would imagine, very, and then yes. separate from that, um, it's also news. So yes. how, how breaking can that news be? Like, How often do you have to mobilize because the market dipped um, or because Madoff uh, you know, ripped everyone in this room off or something?
1: We do, we use it to our advantage in ways, like products like Trigger, but also we know certain movements will move the market, so if the Fed has an announcement, Mm -hmm. we can sell that to certain advertisers. Um, We also have the negative parts of news, um, and we have purposefully set up ways to keep advertisers out of that, so we are not constantly reacting whenever awful things happen. Um, we automatically keep advertisers out of that.
0: And so if markets are down overseas, now I'm just talking, if markets are down overseas, how, I mean, is that messaging that gets back to you for sort of the mornings that your domestic teams can handle whatever the upside or downside is to those things? So are you guys truly just communicating 24-7 around the clock?
1: The news teams are doing that, and then I think from an advertising point of view, That is very much how we are trying to react and differentiate ourselves from how can we kind of customize those programs and even from a creative standpoint, react to that.
0: Is that also applied to, um, you know, sort of, I'm gonna use the word traumatic, I don't really mean Mm -hmm. that, but sort of these, um, these traumatic kind of incidents that happen. so if um, uh, sort of the website goes down, there are people overnight, there are people overseas to handle that, or you're not roused out of bed, right?
1: Yes, so yeah. my teams are global which is fabulous in that standpoint that we pretty much do have people working 24 hours a day. Um, How so often do you get to Asia? Twice a year. Twice a year? Yes. Wow. Yes. But we do have trafficking teams in London and in Hong Kong. So it's nice that pretty much if there's an emergency or someone can check that even US sold roadblock when it goes live in another area and not have to be awake at midnight or we know we have that sensitive client that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and so from a global perspective, I'm assuming this is in flux, right? It fluctuates to some extent, but what portion of your business would you say off the top of your head and you can swag it is direct versus second channel through programmatic?
1: So we have, um, I, am not allowed to speak to numbers since mm-hmm. we're not a public company, but, um, our business is probably much stronger for direct than a lot of other businesses these days. I think it speaks to the brand itself and how we sell, speaks to the audience. Um, We have amazing client relationships. We often work directly with clients, and then of course with agencies Mm -hmm. also. Um, But clients really understand this unique audience. Um, But we have also grown our programmatic business triple digits over the last two years. So while we grow our direct business, we're also growing our programmatic business at the same time. I think we've been really smart to pivot our direct business to these cross-platform sponsorships, to really integrated ideas while we grow the programmatic business at the same time.
0: And so the overall pie is growing. Yes. And then the programmatic part of that pie is
1: also growing. Exactly.
0: So how do you strategize when you start to think about programmatic? Do you have one preferred SSP partner, and then all of your demand plugs into that? Do you ask them to source the demand, you kind of deal IDs like programmatic direct versus just sort of open, straight up RTV? Mm-hmm.
1: We have multiple SSP partners, but we're very selective about it. Um, global, as we heard, is a huge thing for us, so I think you know we have many partners that can bring us a lot of US demand, not the hugest of interest to us, because we already have some large partners doing that. You need to really be able to feel outside the U.S. for us to talk to you. I know this is repetitive but unique demand. I know everybody says that, but it is really, truly important to us. Um, Brand safety measures are huge for us. We do, again, I know everybody says it, but um, any kind of awful ad on our site, and we do have large category blocks, etc., is hugely damaging to us um, with the kind of quality and the advertisers we have. So we are extremely vigilant around that. Um, in regards to, we completely do open market, we do everything from PMPs to programmatic guarantees. I think something that we really wanna grow are, is the guaranteed business and the PMP business. Being the type of you know premium publisher and premium rates, I think that is where we really wanna concentrate. Open markets are completely there and something that we have. And you've got to pull those
0: levers pretty liberally, I That's imagine, it. right? Like wherever the demand is. If you have a new spike, you're probably pushing more demand. At the. That's
1: price. it. That's and it. and I think there are areas across the globe, too, that are more immature um, marketplaces where that is going to be mostly open. We're not going to see PMP deals across the globe, but we know that in other areas across Europe and the U.S. and Asia, we're really hoping to concentrate and look for that higher price deals grow. Or are there other areas that we're just hoping to get some revenue out of where we don't have as much direct business?
0: So let's pivot to video very yes. quickly. Specifically, it is it's of interest to me. Really? Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, so let's talk about um, Bloomberg's. So it's primarily, I would I would guess, short form clip. Video. I mean, I'm using Clip as, yeah. as a proxy for anything sort of under five minutes.
1: Mixture, because we do have the TV business. Mm-hmm. So I. Was, and does that funnel
0: through? Yeah. You, you authentic You have an authentication business. No. TV business. So
1: we do not have to authenticate. Um,
0: Interesting. Um, Yes.
1: I do not know all the details, but Mike Bloomberg himself did some deal a long time ago where we have a very unique deal where we do not have to authenticate on web or OTT anywhere. So
0: That is is an actual legitimate
1: namesake
0: Bloomberg initiative. Yeah. Yes,
1: Mike himself made that happen. Um, so you can go onto Bloomberg.com, watch live TV just like that. You do not have to log on to your cable. And are provider you passing
0: through the linear ads or do you guys no. overlay those with the Only
1: in Asia do we pass through the linear ads in mid roll. Um, and that's very unique to that business and what we were doing for some TV strategy there. Um, there are digital pre rolls. The rest of the globe is purely digital.
0: Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, and that's server side? Yes. Okay, so, and you're just firing off a pod and you're getting, you're filling the demand based on what's yes. available, competitive separation. Right? But
1: And I would say, going back to the original question though, it is probably on web, 50-50, kind of VOD business, um, and then the other 50% live, very Oh, that's, rough that's actually really surprising. Do not quote yeah. me on that. I know totally. my audience team is like, no, that's I already wrong. went right to the market. Stock dipped on that information. Um, but it is a mixture of the two. And then if you go to our OTT apps, it is also a mixture of the two. Um, it is not just the OTT TV stream because our TV business is so, I think, very narrow, amazing target, um, where our web business is a bit broader based. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think on OTT we're trying to hit both of those audiences.
0: Got it. And so. Wow, I find that that's super fascinating. Mm-hmm. I really did not know that you guys had that big a business. Um, so as you begin to go, and this is actually a really interesting thing, so user experience is a gigantic concern. I have as part of the Free Will Council, I sit um, in a subcommittee around user experience to spend a lot of time thinking about it. Talk to me about how you guys are managing user experience on even on TV, on linear TV, and on as you start to move it to digital, like those experiences are different. The OTT experience is different, but it's all alive news pastors so you've got pods you need to fill yes how are you managing around that
1: so user experience in video in all ad units i think is a top priority i think it should be for everybody um but especially with a fickle audience i think like bloomberg um and from even ourselves to me user experience should be a top priority for everybody even in advertising because If you don't think of that top of mind, you're gonna have nobody to sell to. Um, You know, ad blockers is obviously a huge priority, but um, we think about it constantly when we are innovating on ads and we are thinking of everything from separation on linear to digital to, you know, should we be running 30 second pre-rolls? Every step of the way. Are
0: the rules different
1: on TV than digital? Yes.
0: So the competitive really. rules are different. Competitive
1: rules are different.
0: Well, that's really interesting.
1: Yes, um, they are. But we, I would say, the core of the thought process is the same. Mm-hmm. And even from when we are setting up a media plan, we are thinking about these things because really, an advertiser's goals and a user experience at the core, I think, have should have the same kind of thought process. Um, I don't think advertisers always think that way. Of course, they're thinking, but. You know if you are upsetting an advertiser it is the i mean upsetting a user it's the exact opposite reaction towards your brand that you want
0: yeah i mean so we actually uh, did a 250 person survey throughout the agency and advertising advertiser side of the business and we found that actually user experience is the number one concern about folks that are buying the single number one concern um, sort of within the margin of error around kind of privacy concerns. But um, this is and this is a massive concern on the agency side. Um, so it's one of those things we think about a lot. So you mentioned this a little bit, 30-second pre-roll. Like, what are you – what about sixes? Like, we're hearing a lot about that yeah. in the market now too, right? Fox has announced that they're spending some time mm-hmm. putting sixes into NFL games yeah. with the actual – football game sort of going on in one box while the actual ad mm-hmm. runs in another. As you start to play with user experience, how do you think innovatively around what you do.
1: We are very much going to be um, pushing, and I don't mean that in a negative way, sixes, eights, and fifteens much more next year, especially on mobile. A 30 on mobile is one of the most painful experiences ever. Um, But even on desktop and on OTT, I mean, we will have in the live mid-roll breaks, and a mid-roll break can take a longer unit. but I think for a pre-roll experience, a 30 is not always the best. And especially if you're going back outside of live, but going back to the OCD clips, a lot of those are short form. And to me as a user, to have to sit through a 30 to then watch a minute and 30 seconds is not a great and experience. And then another
0: 30 as you play this, yes. right?
1: And and as a user, you know, often you're completely moving away from that and then coming back when you hear the content come on. Yeah. Um, I think that what we need to concentrate on and what advertisers need to concentrate on is making great creative, not the vehicle that's delivered in a great 15, a great eight, a great six is 10 times more impactful and effective than a 30.
0: So let me ask another question around that because the, the flip side of that point, um, as I was starting to look through all of this, the flip side of that coin is are brands going to have trouble doing their storytelling in six seconds or are they gonna have to get more creative around creative. how they leverage all of that time yeah. across it?
1: I think you have to get story. more creative. And we did, so I know YouTube is moving towards they're not gonna allow 30s or they have to be skippable. Um, and they did some research and they provided it to us and I'm not, I don't have the exact stats, but that great sixes, eights, whatever they were, had better brand recall or lift or one of those metrics. Yeah. Um, But because if they're done correctly, you're going to remember it. And longer 30s, there aren't many that I remember. It's funny to me because this is one of those things
0: that tends to engender like very, very fierce debate for some reason um, that people really strongly talk about that sixes are just as effective as 30s and people are like, you can't do it in six. You, You need 15 or 30. Um, And what we've, honestly, what we've found in some studies, I I feel like I need more data on this. I feel like I need more time on this. Um, But what we've seen in studies is that um, there's very, very limited drop off in terms of viewability through facial recognition and eyeball tracking. There's very, very little difference between running four ads in long-form content versus running three ads in long-form mm-hmm. content, for instance. Like, there's a very light drop-off there. You're getting the eyeball.
1: Well, and I also think, do you have a place for each of them? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not pre-roll, but you have your mid-roll breaks, right. which you're used to, and I think you also have to think, how is your user consuming Where are they consuming? OTT is lean back, let's put two minutes back in. That's it, I have no problem in a, like I'm watching a show and it is what is used to be a commercial break type experience versus I'm about to watch a minute and a half long clip, I don't want to have to sit through 30. Or I'm in a social environment and i'm quickly scrolling through things if i'm scrolling through a feed and a 30 hits me i am not stopping to see Mm -hmm. what that is but if you're catching me with a six or an eight or whatever i'm going to stop for a second and watch that if i know that's all that is yeah so you very much have to think where you're engaging your user and what type of mental state and experience they're in and adapt your ad to that yeah
0: i agree i mean i use my own consumption Mm -hmm. online as a as a sort of a rough guideline and you know my consumption of content online is extremely different than my kids' consumption of content online. You know, my kids, and probably people in this room talk about this endlessly, my kids are eight and four. Um, The only thing that my daughter knows what time it's on is the Rangers game. That's it. She knows that Rangers game started seven, and that is it. Other than that, she's like, why aren't we watching, you know, Mm -hmm. Henry Danger on Nickelodeon? And I'm like, because it's not on. Like. Well
1: I think about that all the time. I remember that I used to be like, oh whatever is on at 8 and 9 and I don't remember the last time except a true live event which is usually sports, there might be a few others. That is a time. Well, I'm going to betray my age
0: moment. here, too. I mean, I remember running downstairs on Saturday morning and like literally okay. sitting in front of the TV with my hand it on the dial at... so that mm-hmm. nobody could actually change the cartoons that I wanted to watch. And
1: I don't remember, I remember the last time, more. outside of a sporting event or a rare other live event, that that happens. Anyway. So
0: talk about your consumption. What do, you, what do you watch on TV? What's interesting to you? Oh,
1: don't ask me that question. It's well, embarrassing. I,
0: it can't be more embarrassing than Project Runway, which is like must-see TV in my home for all of us. So if that that tempers what you're about to say, go for it.
1: So I have a wide range. This actually was a conversation last night. I have a wide range. Um, I love a good documentary. I love HGTV. Um, I also love a good dateline. And, yeah, no, then you can throw, not Project One Runway, but maybe a Good Housewives or something in there. Oh,
0: so you're even, When yeah. I need to take it down. When you need to take it when down. When I take it down. down yeah, that's when I've had like a
1: rough day at work and I need to like bring it down. and staring through the yeah, television the brain down. Yeah, watching it. It happens. Yeah,
0: totally. Mm-hmm. The um, I find, like, uh, uh, script, uh, unscripted television, uh, like Project Runway, um, I find the actual, you know, time constraints that those folks have to work in. Fascinating. And then I like to get really super judgy about the actual action. When I want to use people.
1: my brain, I love a great documentary. I yeah. mean whenever I'm on a plane, it's I go to the documentaries and I just watch them and then after a hard day at work I've got to
0: And so are you do you have Netflix? Are you Hulu? Like talk to me about your own you know, are you – you consume T V traditional like on just sort of traditional linear
1: live so I do have Netflix um and I do have of my cable subscription I am I will DVR and then I go to on-demand things both combo um but I also will watch live TV but it is never to watch a specific show it is live TV is often my background while I'm doing something else and that's my HGTV consumption yeah um but the, like, there is a background channel while yeah. I'm doing other things often. And I think that is, I don't think I'm of the, not the norm there in doing that.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I find it all over the map. I have these conversations kind of all the time to understand how people are actually physically consuming television, whether it's live or on demand or whatever. Um, And I find it's a pretty liberal mix. You know, people are finding ways to consume content, which I think is the story that winds up getting lost in a lot of what we do, which is that people talk a lot about linear TV ratings being down and people talk a lot about cord cutting and how people are actually consuming television. But the fact is these programs are getting watched. Um, We're fragmenting, certainly. Um, Two hundred and fifty plus devices with four hundred and fifty uh, television shows anywhere across the the thing, but this content is getting consumed. People are watching it despite how they're watching yeah. it and that's I think that gets lost a lot in the story when, of the television. when
1: I'm truly watching content like when I want to sit and engage in a show, it is often in a way it is not just what is live
0: absolutely so to pause easy. for a second. Are there any questions from the audience before I sort of begin to to wind this down. That's a hard no. Okay, <laughs> um, so let's, let's pivot back to this and this is, this is sort of where we'll finish, um, which is you have spent a long time in this industry, right? you have spent mm-hmm. a while at Bloomberg. So talk to me about something or at least pick something out of your head that you have, that has sort of been a poor belief that you've had about our industry over the last say, Three to five years that you have that you're beginning to find is completely and totally changed, um, and I know that's sort of a tough question. I, I, for the record, I did prep you with these questions, and this was yeah. A but I will say the question <laughs> you
1: prep me with, and the answer I kind of thought about is a little different. Okay, so, so let's, I have to, let's yeah. pivot to that. Go. So let me change the question. Go. Um,
0: <laughs> this is called pivoting. We're gonna pivot.
1: Um, the one I kind of thought about was what was something, say, three or four years ago that you really truly kind of believed in that now is like, no, you don't believe in it at all. And I think I talked about it a bit in my background and a little bit now that in my past, even when I started pushing into ad product, I was a full believer that that big, splashy, in-your-face ad unit was the way to go. That was the way, something a brand was gonna love, users loved it, it was the way to get performance. Um, When I was at the site I already named, um, we would explode a homepage for NBC's premiere or Fox premiere show that night. We would make the homepage like flip around and a character come through and everyone loved it and we thought it was the coolest thing. And it was then. Um, It's also probably why people installed a lot of ad blockers. Um, And so, and and we'd still even thought about user experience. We'd make sure to only do X number a week and stuff. Yeah,
0: or you'd cap them, you'd only get it twice. Yeah, you would only get it once a day.
1: If you came back, don't worry, we wouldn't do it to you twice. Um, And and I remember even as, even coming to Bloomberg, I was like, I'm not gonna be able to explode homepages anymore. They're not gonna (laughs) let me do that. Um, And I think, you know, what I have really learned is how you can really smartly innovate really smartly grab users in different way you don't have to be in your face how you can strategically do things and be just as impactful and effective for a brand and not do it in that type of way right so there's a time and
0: place for very yes, large slash ads the super Bowl. that can be like just that, as right?
1: impactful in a different way it might not get us click through rate because let me tell you a bloomberg ceo is not trying to click on an ad um, but from a branding standpoint and that they realize something and like really engage in something, whatever, um, it happens. And I don't have to explode things to do it. And you could not have told me that five years ago. So when I, mean, I was at
0: Turner um, in the, sort of the very early days mm-hmm. of this, this is probably, let's say, 99 or 2000 or so. Um, we had um, World Championship Wrestling was something that Ted Turner had founded, you know, a billion yeah. years ago. And it was one of the sites that we managed. And they had, so there was a movie um, years ago, I don't know if anybody saw this movie, I certainly didn't. It was called End of Days, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie from probably 99 or 2000. And they sold this gigantic, do you remember DHTML? That was like a big thing for a little while. It was a DHTML gigantic ad that just covered the screen and set the thing on fire and said end of days like that and it was massively under delivering so they made me flip the frequency cap off and so you were getting nailed with it every time you come to the site and the commissioner of world championship wrestling called my desk phone at Turner and was like what the hell is this doing on my homepage? get this off or I'm going to come down and I'm going to like I mean, I think he said, like, unplug your computer, which really wouldn't do anything. <laughs> but, like, you know, like, he was basically, like, going to throw your computer out the window. Yeah. So, which like, that has that's, that story I've taken with me yeah. for a, a very, very mm-hmm. long time. So I think we're going to cut it there. Um, so thank you so much for doing thank this. This you. was fabulous. And I really appreciate everyone's attention here while we went through this. And, and thanks a lot. Thank so thanks you. for listening. <laughs> okay, that'll do it for today. Special thanks to Megan Latham. For joining me on stage live at Admonsters. As always, if you like what you hear, please feel free to follow us on Twitter at podcast okay so that's podcast okay so and please do check out movember.com to see what you can do to help the fight against men's cancers. See you next time
1: the combination lock won't hold you
0: in Don't stray from who
1: you are and time again, I would be your own that prayer here. May I right now? Time will take and look forever why Don't wonder why you were born to be a loner yeah. Your way, your way.
0: Your way, your way Ooh.
1: Say what you will, I know you will. That time is here, but
0: far from here, leap, yeah, leap, yeah, 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 ba- yeah, ba- yeah, ba- yeah, ba- yeah, ba- yeah, 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 it yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah